Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. In San Francisco, the houses are cozy. We can hear our neighbors wailing babies. Their band practice. Their showers. Many of the old homes are smashed right up next to each other, some merely inches apart. This is pretty common in cities across the country, but this week's question asker, Friedel Pretorius, can't help but notice it here. I like walking around San Francisco a lot, it's where I live, and just observing all the different houses. And I noticed that a lot of the buildings in San Francisco are built really close together, like less than a foot. Friedel wants to know, why are they like that? And how are they like that? You know, there's always rot and maintenance that old houses need. And I just wonder, how are they built? And how are they maintained? I'm Olivia Allen Price. This week on Bay Curious, we're going back in time to when these buildings first started rubbing shoulders. Plus, we'll learn how the heck people take care of them. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. Reporter Sarah Craig went downtown to get the skinny behind these tight spaces from a local historian. Are you Charles? Hi, I'm Sarah. Sarah, how are you? I meet Charles Frakia on the bustling corner of Jackson and Montgomery. The streets are lined with rows of brick buildings, home to a bank, a bar, and several clothing shops. Charles is well-dressed in a sports coat and matching suspenders, and his bushy white eyebrows peek out from circular-rimmed glasses that give him a scholarly look. Well, okay, let me, let, me just, let me just walk with you. This is known as the Jackson Square area, and the area I want to just walk you through is the oldest commercial area in San Francisco. It goes back to the right at the time of the gold rush, the 1850s. We're just north of the Transamerica Pyramid, where some of the city's oldest buildings are found. 
So you notice every one of these is on a lot next to each other, back to back. There's no side yards or gardens. We're looking at a series of buildings, two to three stories tall, very plain, and they're attached to each other. There's absolutely no room between them. And he tells me this tight style of building was common in old European settlements. Ancient towns and cities had a wall around them. So you wanted to compress your real estate as much as you can so you don't have to extend the walls. Basically, cities had to protect themselves from invaders. And so everyone was packed inside. I asked him how San Francisco took this idea and made it theirs. Let me show you. We duck into a fancy private eating club that Charles is a member of because he wants to show me some framed paintings of what the city looked like before it was a city, before the houses were smushed together. And here's the one I really wanted to show you. And so you notice there are just a handful of buildings over here. So very few buildings. Oh, so there's really all these buildings that have so much space, it looks like they're almost agricultural. And that'll, that'll change within a couple of years. This painting is dated 1846 to 1847. It's right before the gold rush and right after the U.S. took over California from Mexico. At that point, there's really not much to the city. It's mostly sand dunes. But even with so few people, there was a city council. They convinced the federal government to give them the land San Francisco sits on. And then they started divvying it up. They did this in late 1846 when they hired O'Farrell to do the survey. Jasper O'Farrell was an Irish-born surveyor who designed a lot of towns in California. O'Farrell Street in San Francisco is named after him. When he was given the job, there were about, oh, let's say 500 people in the settlement of Yerba Buena. O'Farrell had no idea what the future held for this little settlement, and he had to guess how big the city would become. He started with a grid. But you notice that this is the Jasper O'Farrell survey. Charles points to an old drawing with streets running perpendicular to one another. And so there's just all these little teeny boxes. Each box is one city block, and each block is divided into six smaller lots called varas, which are a Spanish unit of measurement. Once O'Farrell finalized his map, the city started auctioning off these varas. The ones south of market were going for cheap, $12.67. But those close to downtown were pricey, $50 to $100 per vara. And as they're auctioning them off, the gold rush happens. Now all of a sudden, there's a huge demand for land, and the city needs to fit a lot of people into not that much space. The varas get subdivided into smaller lots, and then some of those get subdivided again. Eventually, the lots get divided so many times that some are less than 25 feet wide. So these are these split up later. Um, Why were they split up later? You can get more money by splitting it up. But 25 feet is not that much space, just enough room for a parlor and a staircase. If you try and have a side yard or something, the house gets too narrow to be comfortable. So in most cases, people built houses that took up the entire lot. You get whole neighborhoods of these tightly packed houses. And since they needed to build them right next to each other, they had to build the walls first, on the ground, and then lift them into place using a system of levers and pulleys. So to answer Friedel's first question, it's the process of subdividing and selling land that made San Francisco houses so close. But now to her second question. How do people maintain them? 
After calling more than a dozen painters and restoration companies, I get a call back from Ben Latomerk from T-Van Building. There is nothing that exists on a home that we haven't done. And he says he comes across houses that are super close all the time. We're talking anywhere from a couple of inches to a couple of feet. None are wide enough that you could get a person in there. That means the sides of many of these smushed together houses can't be painted, which causes problems. UV damages the paint, which then makes the paint peel, which then makes the wood split and crack, which lets the water in, and it's really water that does the damage. Ben says this doesn't happen that often, because most walls are shaded from the sun. But when it does happen, it's a big deal. The only way you're going to be able to deal with it is from the inside of your house. We cannot get to it from the outside. And and how do you do that? Imagine everything now on that wall being stripped down, and you have the vertical studs that you can see. If those studs are damaged, you're doing the best you can to repair them from inside your house. But Ben also needs to protect the outside. Your only option is to keep the water from getting to it. By connecting or overlapping the roofs of the two buildings. Then homeowners just have to cross their fingers. Their roof keeps the water out. I took all this information back to our question asker, Friedel. That was really, really interesting kind of amazing that you have to deal with all of the maintenance from the inside out. Curiosity is satisfied, yeah. Glad we solved this one for you, Friedel. Thank you for asking the question. And thanks to reporter Sarah Craig for taking on that story. The day after Halloween, a bunch of Bay Curious listeners joined us on a San Francisco ghost hunt. It was an awesome time for so many reasons and a big thanks to everyone who made it out. The group recorded this creepy message for you while we stood in a haunted hotel. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. To stay in the loop about other Bay Curious events, sign up for our newsletter at baycurious.org. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have an incredible week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 